before we uh, get going, uh, especially in regard to our, our guest or for their information, as others of you know this, but our gold sheets in our bulletins can be a great resource to follow along, maybe even write some notes or use uh, the backside this week for a, a personal Bible study. So there's that resource there for you. As we start today, I'm going to say something that many people have thought before, but they may never have thought a pastor would actually say it. So, here goes. When it comes to religion, sometimes religion can seem just kind of weird. Now, what I mean by that, so you don't misunderstand, is when you look out at the world and you see certain things people do and certain things people don't do, all in the name of or because of religion, it can seem kind of weird sometimes. Religion can seem weird. About a year ago or so, um, my kids came home from school on the bus and a uh, girl they had talked to on the bus had told them that because of her religion, she doesn't celebrate Christmas and she doesn't celebrate her birthday and that she doesn't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance at school. And, you know, that was kind of weird for them. Um, the Minnesota Vikings, they have a defensive back named Hussein Abdullah. And during the training camp in the dog days of August, where it's so hot and humid, he decided, because of his religion, that he was not going to drink a sip of water from sunup to sundown any of those days, even though he was practicing and sweating so much. Um, there's, there's a group of people in our, our country that in the name of religion, they um, give up the niceties of life. Some of you would say the necessities. Cars, computers, electricity. They don't even go for high school education. Instead, they travel in the name of religion by horse and buggy, and their men wear long beards, and they wear homemade, um, old-fashioned type of clothing. There are people in our country in the name of religion who decide not to drink caffeine. And there are those who say that it's okay in the name of religion to have more than one wife. And there are some who would say that it's wrong to go to the doctor, and that it's okay to murder and to kill certain people if they're not in line with you. There are even some people in our country who, in the name of religion, wear special kind of underwear, and they're supposed to wear. Now, this is, again, kind of weird, but certainly Bethlehem wouldn't have anything that would appear weird to people, right? Certainly not my church, not our church. Well, a couple years ago, a few years ago, we had a guest come to Bethlehem, and the very first service they came to was the Good Friday service. Now, for those of you who've been to our Good Friday service, you probably know where this is going, but it's not like this. Lights are turned off. There's candles everywhere. It's quiet and somber and sad as we remember Jesus' death. And during the service, part of my brain was thinking about this, this guest and thinking, I wonder what he is thinking. And after the service, I found out as we talked, it was kind of weird this church, that service. 
how about, why do we stand up, sit down, stand up, sit? It's kind of weird, maybe, if you're not used to that. Or stand up for certain readings, sit down for other ones. Or why do some people put ashes on their head once a year on a special Wednesday? For those who like quiet, meditative worship music, those who like um, loud, emotional music, that seems weird. And some people like it in between. Um, a few weeks ago, we didn't have coffee and cookies out in the atrium. We had it at the new proposed site. And a little boy who had ran out into the atrium came up to me as I was standing at the door with a very sad face and was basically wondering, is this church? This is weird. There are no coffee and cookies out in the atrium. It's amazing the things that we relate to religion. It's amazing the things that if we use those things as the basis of religion, if they're the heart of why we've gathered, religion is going to seem kind of weird. And not only that, if those things, if the externals, if those outer things become the heart of our faith, not only does it become weird, you know what happens? It gets off track. It becomes misguided. And so in this series, we're hoping to help us all stay on track as we find out through Scripture that really a relationship with Jesus is more than, in quotes, a religion. It's a relationship. Now, the interesting thing in all of this is that a misunderstanding of religion is actually something that Jesus had to encounter when he lived here on this earth. You see, there was this uh, group of people, and for those of you who may go to church often, you've heard of them before. They were called the Pharisees. And these Pharisees, these Jewish leaders, um, they were really engaged and um, focused on things that didn't matter the most. They were really focused in on traditions and on rituals and so forth. And Jesus kept bumping into them in his ministry because as they were pursuing these things, they noticed that Jesus was pursuing something different. That the things the Pharisees were saying and thinking weren't always the things that Jesus was saying and thinking. And so there was this conflict. And the Pharisees, they were always on the lookout. How can we get Jesus? How can we bring him down? Ultimately, how can we kill, them, kill him? And that's what happened after three years of ministry. But they were continually looking how to get Jesus into trouble. That's exactly what happened in our lesson for today. Some Pharisees went from Jerusalem in the south to Galilee in the north with one purpose. How can we get Jesus? And they thought they found it. They thought they found something. As we turn to Mark chapter 7, you can follow along on the screen or otherwise in your service folder. Mark writes, The Pharisees, we talked about them, and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of Jesus' disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. Pause. Now, there's a rule at our house. You don't eat unless you wash your hands first. 
You don't come in from outside unless you wash your hands first. And that's, you know, we like to think a really good parental rule. It may not be a rule at your house, and that's okay. But the reason why you wash before you eat is to get the germs off your hands and hopefully so you don't get sick, right? In theory. The Pharisees were not worried that the disciples might have germs on their hands and catch the flu. What were they worried about? Verse 3. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Let me talk about God and being clean. If you read through the Old Testament, you will very quickly bump into this phrase, being ceremonially clean. And what this was all about, and it comes up over and over again, is that there were certain times and certain places where you would go where God had a very special way for you as a God follower to clean yourself, to ceremonially means in a traditional ritual type of way, clean yourself. Uh, if you touched a, a dead body or a dead animal, or if you bled, whether it was from a scrape on your knee or you just had a baby, um, whether, if you went to the temple, and there's a many other w- times where God would want you to go through a ceremonial cleaning process. Now, the reason was not because God had a phobia of germs. The reason was is this was meant to teach a lesson. You see, God is pure, holy, and clean. And human beings back then and human beings today are not. And so as you went through this ceremonial cleaning, your heart and mind should be thinking about how we need something to make us clean and pure and forgiven. This is found in the Old Testament. But this is not what the Pharisees were talking about. And here's where we get to the crux of the problem, at least one of them. Look at verse 5 again. Notice what they say. Why don't your disciples live according to the Bible? No. According to the tradition of the elders. You see, what had happened is that over time, about uh, this was before Jesus' time, Jewish leaders, they saw these laws in the Bible, and they thought, hmm, I wonder if we can make these better, or if we should add to them. And so they came up with over 600 laws in a book called the Mishnah that Jews still follow today, at least some of them. And these were meant to be an addendum to how you can really show God that you love him. So it probably went like this. They knew God wanted to be ceremonially clean. So likely what happened was they thought, all right, so God likes cleanliness. Let's show them that we'll really be clean. And we'll make laws about before you eat and how you wash kettles and pitchers and all these things. And in this way, we will really show God that we're clean. But what happened over time is that the entire religion of the Pharisees and the Jews became all about these traditions all about what I should do, all about the Mishnah. And they lost the heart. And so Jesus calls them on it. 
And in these words, um, Jesus really doesn't hold back. He, he lets them have it, these Pharisees, because not only were they leading themselves astray, they were leading a whole bunch of people astray. Listen to what he tells them. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. This is a strong word. You hypocrites. A hypocrite literally is someone who wears a mask to cover up who they really are. A hypocrite is someone who um, plays a part in a play and shows themselves on the outside to be different than they really are on the inside. As it is written, these people, he's talking about the Pharisees, the Jews, honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and holding on to ritual, to tradition, to the traditions of men. Now, the truth is, is that tradition has been a part of religion, every religion, for a very long time. And for many people, there is nothing more important or personal than faith, and it should be that way. And so traditions, or how you do things, really become very close to the heart. But for a moment of perspective, what we're learning today, what Jesus is teaching us, is that while traditions can serve a good purpose, we'll talk about that in a second, that at the very heart, traditions are not meant to be served. But instead, they are meant to point us to something else. That at the very heart of our belief and um, our relationship as a Christian is not how you do things, but is Jesus. And everything comes off from there. You start with Jesus. Jesus takes center stage. Now, let me give you an example of how when something doesn't take center stage, it can get kind of mixed up. I'm going to use something that most of us Minnesotans know well. Um, that would be apple orchards, okay? In Minnesota, we found when we moved here, too, that... You know, if you're a Minnesotan, you take your annual fall pilgrimage to an apple orchard. Most people do. And so maybe some of you have done that this year, maybe twice. It's been so beautiful. Now, one of the things I found, even in the eight years that we've been here, is that apple orchards, and I've talked to some people about this too, have kind of changed, huh? They kind of change in this way. That you can go, that most apple orchards seem to be about just about everything except apples. The one that we've gone to over the years, um, they have uh, pony rides and a petting zoo and face painting, and they have this little track that you can ride a tricycle on, and um, they, they have. Uh, games for the kids, and they even have this one-man band that every year I think is kind of interesting, has nothing to do with apples, but kids like to listen to him. And what happens is you can spend an entire day at an apple orchard, spend $50 to $100 if you're a bigger family, and not even see an apple tree. Isn't this true? Now, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that if you like tricycle rides and face painting and one-man bands. But to me, just, you know, to me, if you go to an apple orchard, it should be about apples and maybe caramel. <laughs> but apples. 
That's what Jesus is saying here about faith, about your relationship with him. There's so many externals and traditions. Some of them might even seem kind of weird if you don't know why. But if you're new to faith or you've been with, uh, in faith for a long time, let me tell you the truth. At the heart and core of a Christian is Jesus. Not what does the building look like? Or what do you wear? Or what kind of music do you play? Or do you have coffee and cookies afterwards? Now, we like those things, maybe. But it's about Jesus. And it's so interesting that as the Pharisees were all concerned about cleaning themselves, they missed the guy who would clean them. Did you wash your hands, Jesus and the disciples? I'm here to clean you. And in the midst of their religion, they missed the heart. A Savior who would shed his blood to wipe away every wrinkle and blemish so that we might have a relationship with God that lasts into eternity. It's only by his forgiveness, not a special prayer that we say or not a special clothes that we wear or whatever it might be, that we're able to stand here today and worship or sit here as it may be and be in God's very presence. It's all about Jesus. So, I don't know any of you who ceremonially wash kettles. You can tell me after church if you do. But my question, though, is are we still tempted to do what the Pharisees did? And I've kind of alluded to this already, but I know a lot of churches, and I know a lot of pastors, because I am a pastor, and I have friends who are pastors. And what I found talking to them is that every church, every Christian, every pastor fights against this possible tension between tradition and Jesus, the heart of our faith. And in fact, if I look over the eight years of me being a pastor, it's the only place I've been a pastor, so this is my only case study. When I look at the times where members have been upset or disgruntled or frustrated with the church or even, you know, with me, almost every single time, it's had to do with what? Not Jesus, but tradition or how you do things or culture or ritual. Now, what I am not saying is that it's wrong to have opinions about how things could best work. I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't talk to your pastors about these things. In fact, I'm saying you should. But what I am saying is that there is a bigger umbrella principle here that God is trying to teach the Pharisees, that in the midst of our opinions about religion, to never forget the center, which is Jesus. And so as we grow and mature in faith, here's what happens when we remember that. It becomes less about me and more about him. 
it becomes less about this question. What do I like? Still ask it. It's human nature to ask it. But it becomes less about that and it becomes more about how can I connect people, even my own heart, to the center of the faith which is Jesus. So, should we just throw out all traditions? Absolutely not. Traditions can still be good. But, that's not what Jesus is saying either, to throw them out. But, we look at them through that lens. And so anything we do as a tradition should point us to who? To Jesus, right? If you have a good tradition, there should be a point to it. It should point us to Jesus. Uh, here's a few of ours, maybe. You might call them traditions. Um, at the beginning of most services at Bethlehem, we have a confession absolution. We don't have to, but we do. Why? It's where you confess your sins. Because it's good to have, you know, begin your week with a good load of Lutheran guilt. No. It's because it reminds us that the only way we're able to stand here today is because I've been washed clean by Jesus. Um, why do you stand up for the gospel? Now, it's a little unfair with you because we normally say why. That's good. It's a tradition that is good because you know why. You stand because we're showing honor to God and to Jesus' words found in the gospel. Did you know there's even a connection to Jesus with coffee and cookies? Now, where is he going with this? <laughs> it's true. We, that sometimes is a headache for those that have worked and done it, right? The organization of it is not easy. You know why it's important? Because people gather around food, and in the process, what happens? They talk and encourage and strengthen each other in Jesus. Some of the only Christians you may know are people who go to this church. It's a tradition connected to Jesus. You know, an apple orchard where apples aren't at the center just seems kind of weird to me. Religion, if Jesus is not at the center, may seem weird too. It's not about pony rides and face paint and one-man band. It's about apples. And my friends, thanks be to God that we can live every day and through his grace, may we make it all about Jesus.